The Conquest of Bliss, a podcast about finding light in the darkness. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Conquest of Bliss. I am here with Tej, who does his own podcast, and we're going to have a conversation about, as usual, happiness and, and the topics around it. So how are you today, Tej? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, excited to take part in The Conquest of Bliss. So that's a really strong name for a podcast, I have to say. Interesting name. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah, some people have told me that it's a little bit uh, oxymoronic. You know, you don't conquer bliss. You have to kind of let it come to you. And I'm like, yeah, that's kind of my personality, though. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so you do a podcast as well, you were saying. Yes, um, I run a Canucks podcast out of Vancouver. Uh, we do some Canucks uh, mainly, but we also dabble in some NFL um, and, and fantasy sports. And it's a, uh, a podcast about the team from a fan perspective. It's, it's, I guess, fan media, if you want to call it that. But, you know, as diehard fans of the team, our mindsets are all about optimism and, and positivity, in the, positivity in the fan culture and, uh, you know, creating an uplifting spirit that, you know, we do have a group in the arena called the Lars Shiders. We're also a part of that group of 250 fans that are trying to raise the roof in the building and, and, and create an atmosphere of support around the team. And and I guess the podcast is a venture that I use on the side to uh, to also kind of, you know, help instill that same fan culture. Um, and that's, that's a really beautiful thing. I myself, I'm not super into sports, but of course my mom, who, who uh, introduced us to one another, is very, very into hockey. And so I'm around people who are sports sportsters i don't know what you call people sports fans um and i do see that where there's you know there's a negativity side to it where people people get really really bothered and upset and stuff like that so can you touch a little bit on on how that played into your decision to to try and change the culture well sure yeah so i mean growing up in vancouver um you know i'm a big time hockey fan i played hockey all my life from a young age uh i've coached in hockey um, and I've also uh, refed in hockey and, and also various other sports. And, you know, I'm, I'm also a, an educated individual and I'm, opto- I'm an optometrist, uh, studied the sciences, biology is my major. So I've kind of enjoyed different walks of life and different experiences um, that helped me grow and mature as a person. And, and uh, you know, growing up in the city, when it comes to the Canucks, it's, you notice that it's an avenue for a lot of people, not all, the, not everyone, but for a lot of people, it's an avenue where they can, issue out frustrations that may not be you know indicative about the team in reality if you go down to break them down to the core root of the problem it's that the person themselves is frustrated in life mm-hmm. for whatever reason and they use an outlet such as the sports team or you know there's various other outlets that people can use like family um you know your husband or your spouse your, your wife your you know a partner or, or you know any, any different outlet you can use as a, a way to you know pour out some negativity that or some some frustrations that you have and hold dear inside of you and I, I feel like that you know may not be the the best way of dealing with you know problems in life and, and for for the Canucks specifically I think changing that mindset when it comes to the culture on the team and, and creating more of an uplifting optimistic optimistic and positive approach to the team can have a reverse effect where the, that you're you're you know, the, the one entity that people care so much about, which is, you know, a lot of people in Vancouver care about the Canucks immensely. They are an actual source of positivity for you now, as opposed to you using them as a, a as an outlet for venting your own frustrations, right? So it's kind of flipping that, 
uh, you know, back around and using it as a tool to improve your own, you know, outlook in life and your own persona and whatnot. And so your own conquest of bliss, right? Call it that. But ultimately, it's a it's a it's an approach for life. It's a mindset for life that I'm just trying to exercise, right? So well, and I think that that's really cool. Like I I do see that the connects themselves try to be positive and uplifting. They have a charity and some stuff like that. But really, I think that it's in the hands of the fans to to change the culture of the fans. Um, so I think that that's that's really really wonderful that you do that. So how often how often do you do that? You said it's called the Lars Cast, right? The Larsh cast is actually named after Tommy Larshai, uh, who was a color commentator for the team for, for um, you know, uh, over a decade. And uh, he was a very passionate individual. So we named, you know, the fan section after him, the Larshiders, and then also my podcast, I decided to name after him too. Well, that's very and cool. And it's called the Larsh cast. You can find it on, yeah, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, all the different platforms that, that uh, have podcasts. Awesome. There will also be a link in the show notes for that if anyone is interested um so the other uh the other thing i wanted to ask is so most people that are on a conquest of bliss a journey toward happiness even realize that there is you know a journey to be had they got there somehow do you do you are you comfortable sharing what led you to start looking for your own version of bliss yeah i mean uh for me it's it's pretty simple i mean i was always uh you know uh, uh, an uplifting individual but i never really had a you know this conquest for bliss, or the this conquest to want to, you know, help others achieve bliss. Um, until I had a near-death experience uh, in January of 2014, that was a life-changing event, as it you know typically is for people who have a near-death experience. Uh, it uh, basically I was alone in an apartment. It, it's quite a long story. I'll try to be brief here, but I was alone living in an apartment for school. I was on rotations. My my third rotation out of optometry school and it was in Seattle which is you know two hours away from Vancouver and mm-hmm. my family lives here in Vancouver and so I was that was the first time I was living alone in an apartment and what happened was I caught a bug in a, the university district I, it was a Saturday night I might have I went to a bar that I typically don't go to there was one near my apartment building but I went to a different bar and there were three or four other cases of a meningioencephalitis you know oh, wow. caused by this enterovirus um, in that area and so uh, it's basically an inflammation of your, your your CNS, your central nervous system, right? So um, it knocked me out. Like I was, you know, so I had no memory of that event at the time. Like uh, basically 36 hours had gone by before my parents or my brothers, you know, my, my brother or sister, my, my siblings, nobody could reach me. Nobody could contact me. And so we're not ta- now talking about Sunday morning uh, or sorry, early Monday morning. Um uh, like 1 a.m., 2 a.m., and then they decide to, to drive down to Seattle to, to check up on me and, and see what's going on. And, and this whole time, I'm in my apartment, I'm, I'm vomiting. Like, I didn't know this until afterward because they, they you know, they saw the apartment, but, you know, I'm, I'm vomiting. I'm, I'm, I basically have lost, you know, consciousness. I'm just, I can't really function. I can't really do anything. I was just like fighting a bug. My body was fighting this bug. You know, that's how people die from this is the immune system is overactive. It's kind of similar to what happens with it many viruses, including the coronavirus or COVID-19, what actually kills you is your, your immune system um, goes into this cytokine storm and then your body just can't handle it. And then so the inflammation is what kills you. But That's very anyways, uh, back to the story, my parents drove down, they found their way into the lobby of the building. And and this is the part that is quite a, you know, it stands out as a miracle to me. Like I, I'm still trying to understand and how I figure it out. But I, I guess I understand it holistically, but I answered the phone in a state 
of unconsciousness that I was and dehydration and, you know, dealing with pneumonia from vomiting. I answered the phone and my sister was calling, you know, relentlessly from Vancouver as my parents drove down. She's calling, she's calling. And I finally answered the phone and I don't remember this conversation, but she, she told me like, like, TJ, TJ, where are you? Like, you know, mom and dad are, are downstairs. Uh, you got to go down to them. And then I'm like, what are you talking about? She told me after, like, I said to her, what are you talking about? I'm upstairs in my my room at home. And and she and I meant at home in Vancouver. And she's like, no, 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 you're in Seattle. You're you're in an apartment. Walk downstairs, down the elevator um, and go meet them. So she guided me on the phone. And my parents, you know, my mom told me when the, the elevator doors opened, it was, I looked ghastly white and I collapsed in her arms. And oh. so they took me to the hospital. I was in an induced coma for four days. Oh, wow. You know, woke up after they did a series of tests, including a spinal tap, and I was hooked up to an IV and a different, you know, neurological uh, measuring, you know, units. And, and so basically, they're just establishing a baseline of functionality for me. And I, I recovered. Like, because it was an enterovirus, it wasn't as serious of a bug or inflammation that, you know, my body was able to fight it off with the, with the help of the hospital fluids and, and vitamins that they injected and everything. And so, yeah, like, I came out of that event with as you can imagine a new lease on life and yeah. and i and i felt like god you know or a higher power you know i know a lot there, there could be atheists that don't believe in god but essentially everybody kind of believes in a higher power well some higher power saved my life and and i feel this new obligation almost to want to help save others and and do what i can with this second chance or new lease on life and just kind of help influence a, a culture of positivity and, and uplifting optimism and change etc so that's just how i feel based on that experience that is an incredible story. I um, and it's 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 very interesting to hear a story from someone who is medically educated because you're able to you know use terminology that I recognize but would be able to use so casually myself. Um, yeah, I try not to go too too you know delve too deep into the medical terminology. You know it can get confusing, but um, you know a long story short, when it came to what happened, like I almost died of dehydration and pneumonia and was saved by that phone call I answered because my parents couldn't get up to the building, as you can imagine. Yeah. In an apartment building, you need a coat, a pass to use the elevator, and it's really you know, secure. So that that's just one of those things, eh? Yeah. Well, to me, I mean, I'm a big believer in miracles, and I tend to agree. As I think, even atheists have something that they believe in. Uh, I find it hard to believe any atheist can can sit there and say there's no such thing as a higher power uh, and higher order, or you know, it's it's hard for me to. to to believe that they could believe that, you know? I, I do know. I, I'm the same way where I have a really, I mean, I have a really hard time in general understanding how people could believe different things than me in general. But with that, <laughs> um, with that, I, I think one of the things, one of the things that makes me wonder is like, if you're an atheist, like you still believe in say like quantum entanglement, right? Like that shows that there's something going on between the space, like the way that we see the world, like in a scientific way. Well, no, no, exactly. <laughs> quantum, quantum, or electron entanglement, as described by quantum physicists, is is essentially a description of the metaphysical connection of our chakras or energies. That when we're walking around in life and you make a connection with somebody, that's what's being entangled. It's it's actually a, a scientific scientific explanation or evidence of that which exists in spiritual knowledge. So, yeah, you know, we're we're progressing to that level of understanding now where where science is is going to meet spirituality and i feel like in my i'm sure you're aware like you know hearing about the age of astrology that we're entering in terms of the age of aquarius you know it's this spiritual awakening that supposedly might happen here with humanity but it's coming at in the face of all this digital technological shift in the landscape in the world too so very interesting you know if you you know i like to 
incredibly interesting. I love uh, I love talking to people who know about this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Because like I, I only know like bits and pieces. Like I have a, a very, very base level understanding of entanglement and like very basic. And a lot of the stuff that goes on where you're seeing science start to explore areas where before like like have the capacity to explore areas where before it was always just kind of written off as nonsense and improve unprovable and stuff like that. So very, very cool to hear people talk about it. Well, I'll take it one step further just because it's really cool and I know you'll appreciate this, but the entanglement is based on, you know, the polarization of the electron. And polarization is basically the direction that the electron is facing or pointed to, or in terms of a connection, if you make with another individual, your electron, electrons would be sharing the same polarity. Okay. Um, same alignment, right? And a highly specific alignment. So when you're talking about entanglement, they've done experiments to show that electrons that become entangled with one another, um, and you can think about many different connection scenarios, as in somebody you meet somebody on the street or a mother and her child, you know, there's different strengths of these connections, but mm-hmm. any two twins. electrons... Yeah, twins. Exa- exactly. So any two electrons that are connected, they've scientifically shown through experiments that no matter how far apart those electrons then go, and we are, we're talking miles or hundreds of miles apart, or even further, uh, mm-hmm. in theory, you know, they haven't, it, hasn't been, it hasn't been tested further, but in theory, as far away as, as possible, light years away, they would still share the same polarity. And that essentially means they would still share a, a fundamental connection. And that's one of those things where you think about a mother feeling her child in pain when their child is, a, is, a, is in a different country or, or a, a loved one feeling that their loved one is in pain, you know? Well, and you start to you start to think of all these different scenarios because that that's what the connection is basically telling you in a, at a scientific level that that connection is, is is faster than the speed of light really in theory it's it's already in existence mm-hmm. instantaneous yeah and I mean it's interesting because like I don't know that like I think everyone experiences it I don't know that we all speak the language well enough to understand what we're being told when that happens but I'm thinking um, as you're talking of your parents you know knowing that they had to come and see you knowing that there was something wrong in spite of the fact that all the evidence they had was lack of evidence exactly and that's partly in fact it partly due to the fact that they're in tune with the vibrations i guess you call it of life they're in tune and using their intuition and their pineal gland which is goes hand in hand with intuition it's you know and also if you think about it you know from spirituality wise the pineal gland is what they would call refer to as the third eye right so Mm-hmm. Because they were in tune with that, they, the feeling that my mom in particular and my sister in particular, they had was something's wrong. We need to go down there and assess and figure it out because this is unusual. And obviously, if you're, if you're going to be skeptical, you can think, well, many people would think that something is wrong after 36 hours, right? But, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's a different relationships, different families. But for our family in particular... You know, 36 hours typically, you know, isn't uh, a long time to not contact, you know, a family member. You know, maybe two or three days, maybe it's, a, it's getting there. So there's, there's always going to be room for skepticism because the science is not proven yet. But if we're talking about it, the potential for that to be the case where intuitively they felt something that was through the connections of, of the electron entangled, electrons that are entangled. Yeah, it makes sense too, right? So, Well, and I think, yeah, like I think there's room for skepticism and I think that people... People are going to be skeptical no matter what we do, um, because even if yeah. we find a way to prove it, there's there's always going to be issues with circular reasoning and cognitive dissonance. And we don't like, you know, circular reasoning. Well, I don't trust that science. 
okay, well then there's nothing that you can do, <laughs> you know? Um, but for yeah. me, I've seen enough evidence in my life personally um, for there being some validity to spirituality being a separate plane that interacts with the planes that we can feel with our um, many senses. Yeah. I'm so, with you there. Too. I believe that too myself, but you know, in the, in the, in the landscape of the world that we live in now with the culture, the digital culture, it's very dehumanizing, right? So it's harder to maybe communicate to others who aren't actively, you know, thinking that way. And it's harder to convince those who aren't, you know, open to the ideas of spirituality because before, you know, if you were, if you weren't sure of, of a situation, you'd, you know, you would invest, you'd be open to hearing ideas on both sides. But when it comes to spirituality, there's like this wall now that's grown bigger that is in opposition to anything spiritual or, or, or religious or, you know, involving God or a higher power even, right? So it's, it's, it's a, it's a more, more defined split now, I would say in the world. I agree fully. And I, I tend to, I tend to chalk that up to number one would be religious trauma. A lot of people have been traumatized by the church and therefore want to shut down anything that is remotely, not necessarily one church, but like religious institutions as a whole. So I think that yeah. that's, that's a part of it. And then I think there's also, there's also a lot of shame when it comes to believing things that make people happy. I've noticed just a crazy amount of, of the idea that happiness or optimism is akin to naivety or stupidity. You know, people say like ignorance is bliss is one. And sometimes that's true, but I think it's over applied. And the other one that you hear a lot is um, I've got my, or, oh, uh, I'm a realist. People say something pessimistic yeah. and they say, I'm a realist. Well, a I realist. mean, yeah. optimism is just as much of realism as pessimism, but okay, you do you, boo. You yeah, know? <laughs> no, exactly. It can be frustrating when you're dealing with those those people, but. At the same time, from their point of view, we are, we are so obnoxiously positive or optimistic <laughs> that we don't hold room for their argument. But it's it's one of those things that are, going back to the split that's occurring. I don't, I'm not sure that the split is going to change, and it's, it's it goes back to duality and, and yin and yang. I think it's it's always going to be there, and the split itself are like just branches of a tr of the same tree of life. And you know, you need opposition, I guess, mm -hmm. to to an extent just to create balance um the strength of opposition maybe can can be relative but op the concept of opposition itself is nothing new in life right and so uh it's almost like a testament to individual strength is that you need you need that enemy to strengthen your resolve mm -hmm. you know and without it you become passive or complacent so and and i, I mean, mean oh sorry go ahead no that's, that's that's basically what i was saying there but well, I was just gonna. Oh, sorry. <laughs> me too. Me too. Don't worry. Uh, <laughs> and my first ever episode warns people that me and my guests <laughs> do that. So, uh, yeah. uh, that, I would, that's what makes good, good episodes. I think, though, but in reality, but well, yeah, it's people just having conversation and yeah. being real. Um, so, I would add on to that as well as strengthening the resolve uh, when you have opposition. It also allows you to see, and uh, I'm not a huge fan of the word gratitude, but um, appreciate is a better word, I think. It helps mm -hmm. you to appreciate what you do get out of having the mindset or, or paradigm that you do when you see people who yeah. are unhappy because of them having different beliefs. It helps yeah. me to feel encouraged and have hope because it's like, oh, but that's not my experience. I don't have to experience that. I am fucking blessed. Yeah. No, it does help. It does help in that way for sure. So, uh, also, sorry? Also, 
But no, and also it, it, the idea of having conversations is, is the only way um, ideas in, in general can advance. And, and, and sometimes with that opposition or the person who, you know, doesn't share the same sentiment that you do or the opinion or, or even is vehemently, uh, vehemently opposed to it, um, you, you have an opportunity to educate or to influence their lives in the better. And, and also just, you know, share in a conversation which can not only benefit in your opinion, the other person that you're enlightening, but also for yourself to realize that where the doubts still lay or where there could be flaws in your arguments or or the, the where the knowledge still doesn't exist, you may need to pursue, you know, certain fields of, or certain areas, right? So it allows for that advancement of ideas too, which is important. Absolutely, absolutely. That's a really good point is that we build on each other and we help see the, the holes in <laughs> in our reasoning. Um, it's amazing. So like have to make the hole, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, I was just gonna say, it's amazing how like much of an echo chamber our own brains are. And then, and I think it's healthy too, we surround ourselves with people who have similar ideologies and then that echo chamber is just bigger, not less echoey. Um, so it can be really, really good yeah. to step outside of that and hear other ways of thinking, whether it reinforces your views or pushes them away. I think, like I think you said, 100%. the conversation is what's Sorry. important. Having a conversation. Exactly. Yeah, and that's what can never done. Never end. Yeah. Yeah. So, do you? Uh, but unfortunately, all conversations do come to an end. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. And I guess on that note, is there anything else that you want to add to uh, the? You know, I mean, there's there's a good you know 20, 30 people that listen. <laughs> are you Are you doing these live when you, no. when you start? No, I'm thinking of learning to do live. Okay, well, your audience is only going to grow. Your audience <laughs> will only grow. as This is a really good venture, I think, The Conquest of Bliss. I just want to commend you on it because um, I think they're, you're uh, the start of a new wave of potential podcasts that are going to be out there. Um, I think, um, you know, if, if you look this up later, the age of Aquarius um, astro astrologically means that we're entering this era of awakening, of spiritual awakening. And, and there's a lot of, of science... You know, going back to that conversation, science and spirituality are going to meet together and a lot of things are going to become clear. And and so this is the perfect time for you to have a podcast like this, I think. So good for you. I just want to you know, give you my appreciation. And I thank you again for having me on. I really do appreciate that. Thank um, you so much. I was really, I was really excited. My mom was talking you up like he's so cool <laughs> and smart and helpful. Your mom was a big Canucks fan, so you can talk up another Canucks fan. I think. <laughs> See, we're a family. It goes back to that whole thing I was talking about. But and, anyways, and thank you. Anything besides the large cast <laughs> um, that you want people to know about? Well, like sure. I mean, uh, my own optometry practice, my own clinic is uh, at uh, Kingsway and Joyce. It's called Image Optometry Kingsway. There are different... Uh, franchises with Image. I own the, the Image Kingsway franchise. So if anybody wants or needs another eye doctor or wants to come and, and say hello, um, uh, you can come visit me and I'll, I'll take good care of you there, take good care of your eyes. And also, like you just said, the large cast, uh, for any Canucks fans or sports fans that may be listening, we're an up-and-coming podcast in Vancouver. Um, we have a great team of guys involved. And, and um, you know, give us a listen. If you, if you like what we say, then welcome to the family. Thank you very much. Thank you so much.